a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. Well, it's really hard to know where to pitch things at the moment with City, isn't it? After Saturday's one-all draw with West Ham, it was all pretty much doom and gloom, as once again, the team looked like they weren't able to create much in the way of clear-cut chances. But then, just three days later, a trip to the south of France is enough to shake off the cobwebs and have a good old-fashioned City performance back again. If that's not proof that every once in a while we all need some time on the Côte d'Azur, I don't know what is. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, where there's one very simple question with plenty of complex answers. Are the signs there that this City team is getting back to its best. We'll be doing our best to work that out over the next hour or so. I'm David Mooney to help me work out how I should be feeling about the last seven days. I'm joined by two City fans, Kieran Murray. Hi, David. And Stat City, Adam Carter. Hello. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's it, isn't it, really, Kieran? The, the the two performances in midweek, it's chalk and cheese. You know, you don't really know what to make a City at the moment. Um, I, I, I don't want to start the question with, double start the show with such a difficult question, but Why? <laughs> why what why, um, <laughs> why has it been so so different in the performances uh, I, I don't know I think rumours of Pep Guardiola's death have been greatly exaggerated this week <laughs> um, she, it's, it's unreal how much a performance can remind you of how fickle you can be as a football fan yeah. Um, after Saturday against West Ham, I was sort of thinking to myself, right, is it uh, Pochettino or is it Nagelsmann I want the most? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm shortlisting uh, Pep's um, Pep's successors. Uh, oh, he doesn't. He doesn't look happy, does he, on the touchline at the Olympic Stadium? Oh, God, he looks really down. Maybe he is off at the end of this season. Oh, they've won in France. Yeah, great. He's staying around forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and it's funny, just like what a difference a performance can make. What a difference three days can make. Really, um, I thought we were. I thought we were fantastic in France, and the joy and en- enjoyment um, of football was back again a little bit. Uh, there was nothing to really take from the West Ham game, you're watching this kind of empty stadium, a turgid atmosphere. It's early on a Saturday morning. Um and it, it's 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 kind of like oh, this this is just ghastly to watch. <laughs> and then you you watch them he's changed things up a little bit in France and you watch young dynamic footballers in their rightful position doing a high press again. It's back, and uh, and 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 so, suddenly you enjoy the football again. Guardiola looks happier. The players look happier. We've got a convincing win under our belts, 
and yeah, the only way is up again. And uh, I can't wait for May when we win the league. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, I, I don't want to. I, I hate bringing private and personal things into the discussion in a public forum like this. But I'm just going to read out a text message you sent to me on. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was Wednesday night uh, when you said, um, uh, "What kind of angle are we going for tomorrow?" And then in all caps, "City are back." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh- I think the fickle nature of the football fan takes over when we get results like this. I mean, I thought we were back when we beat Wolves 3-1 on the opening game of the season and then <laughs> we were soon brought back down to earth by the Leicester game. So it's is this not just typical City where they build us up to knock us down again and again? We've had peaks and troughs already. We're only nine games in and we, we don't <laughs> have a clue what kind of season we're going to have. Um, so it's absolutely bonkers. Um Again, we're writing obituaries one week and then we're throwing that in the bin and we're we're running out of superlatives to uh, throw at our players from the accolades this week. So absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, you don't know what we're going to get from one week to the next, which is typical City, I suppose. I think the, the, the question, though, Adam, is can we actually read anything into that Marseille performance that does suggest that they've turned a corner? Well, I was kind of thinking Marseille aren't going to be the biggest toughest task we're going to face uh this season so but you can only it's the age-old adage that you can only beat what's put in front of you so how much do we how much praise do we put on that performance saying yep so so much width so much dynamism so much pace uh so much pressing and you can only beat that that the, the people that are in front of you so do we put a lot of praise on the fact that we got the job done in a in a truly what we would normally call a typical city way from last season and we, are we back to that best or do we say there's tougher times ahead so it depends how much uh, how much praise you want to give them our say level I suppose for that one it's really comfortable on that fence isn't it though there Adam uh, <laughs> Kieran are, are, you, are, you, are you any closer to, to saying that City have turned a corner Um, yes I think so <laughs> um, if, if, if you look at the Porto game and realise that things started to happen you know, we, we scored two goals from set pieces in that. And then the, the goal from open play came from Torres and Foden, their introduction. Um, the goal on Saturday against West Ham came from Foden's introduction. Foden and Torres looked looked electric against Marseille. Maybe if Pep's turned the corner in his head, where hello, he's like, hello. Yep. Hello, I think I've got a combination here that works. And I think I've got players who are going to who are gonna fight harder, press higher, um, offer me something else uh i think maybe if he's turned a corner i was surprised that he'd gone for an unchanged team in this in this very very packed schedule of football and with muscle injuries kind of all over the shop uh and when the performance against porto like although we got a you know a comfortable win in the end um it was the introduction of Foden and Torres that kind of changed things. So why he went for an unchanged team whenever you could see how how much they offered you. Um, so yeah, if if we've turned a corner and he's going to move away from that sort of team that he was sticking with, um, then yeah, I, I mean, I really like the look of those two players and what they bring and then how they shift everything else around. Uh, you, you know, it really works nicely for me. Yeah, I wanted to talk about those two in particular in a second because I want to do it in the context of a wider discussion about the the kind of shape of the team up front. Uh, we've got a listener called Mike Cook who who like he DMs me pretty much kind of every kind of six weeks or so talking you know asking the question about inverted wingers and the time has come I think Mike where I am finally on your page on this. I, <laughs> um, I I just think like like it's been on the fans' radar for a while now. It's causing a problem. Um, 
I mean, you can't really doubt now, can you, Adam, that when City play against a back five, if they have inverted wingers, as they did against West Ham, with Sterling coming in from the left and Mares in from the right, it, there's no that without the the wide fullbacks, there's no space to kind of get in and, and and stretch the pitch. When suddenly, you know, look at Marseille, they played Foden on the left, they played Sterling on the right, natural footers on those sides. It stretched the pitch that, that uh, on that day, and it caused Marseille all sorts of problems. Yeah, I think it speaks for itself when I talk about that dynamism and that, that it was almost wave after wave of attack and the pitch looked so much wider than it did against West Ham. And we're talking just two games apart here. It's not like we've had months to get into a new system. We've literally almost flipped the switch from one game to another. I think when you've got players coming from outside in on the on the lesser favoured feet or from the less, lesser favoured positions, we just kind of nullify ourselves, which is absolutely baffling. We've looked so pedestrian recently when we've been doing that approach. And yet, when you put the right players in the right places and we, we use the same approach, we get such different results. I think we looked so youthful and sprightly against Marseille mm. as opposed to just sluggish the game before with principally the same approach, but with different personnel. You look at the three people you just mentioned there, there, there are three leading goal scorers this season already. Yeah. Sterling on five, Torres three, Foden three. So really? is, it, is it a case of the personnel that was the issue and not necessarily the tactical approach? Well, I mean, here's the question then, uh, Kieran, because you look at, at the way that City are and they, they you know... They don't have that Leroy Sane figure anymore for the wide left. Can Could Mares, even though he prefers being on the right and cutting inside, could he actually offer the width on the left being left-footed? He, he could. Um, he could. I I don't really like to say this, but I think Mares needs some time out of the team, me. Um, I think when he came on against Marseille in midweek, um, what he offered from the bench was much, much more than what I've seen him offering kind of recently full stop. Um, th- that Sané thing that we're really, really missing of he took the ball in his stride and with his gallop kind of kept going with it. Um, in one of the Torres preview videos that I watched in the summer when he signed, there's a, there's a word for it, you know, that the Spanish kind of look out for in a, in a winger that they can kind of take it and move with it. Um, Mares doesn't do that. Mares picks it up and has to look and he, he, he slows the play up for me a little bit too much. Um, there's very there's not very often that you see Mares kind of pick it up and go with it, you know, in sort of one movement. Um, he'll always try to, as you've touched upon, kind of get it onto his other side. Um, so maybe, maybe if you if you are going to put him anywhere, maybe give him a go out on his. <laughs> I don't think he's offering enough, you know, in a position that he's more comfortable in to, to then put him somewhere that he's not comfortable in at all. I, yeah. I think he might end up being a very useful player from the bench. But how, how about Bernardo wide left then? See, I think I think Bernardo needs some time in the middle. Um and I think that we've been sort of crying out for it for seeing that with Bernardo. Um I I thought at times Bernardo, although like people will look at that performance on Saturday against West Ham and go, he he did absolutely nothing. Um, I thought he, to, to use Adam's word, I thought he looked sprightly, and I thought he looked for, up for it. And when he did have the ball, I thought he looked confident with it. Um, I think he's ready to put last season behind him, so I think he needs a little bit of time in the in the side again. Um, at one point, just before half time, I remember watching watching out for a high press, which I just don't think we've seen enough, um, certainly in the league that at the moment from City. And Aguero looked knackered, completely shot. Mares just didn't look up for it at all. And Bernardo was pressing on his own. 
And as we kind of know, if the high press doesn't work if only one person's going because they just yeah. wait for him to arrive and pass it past him. And the other two just looked as if they could not wait for half time to arrive. And Bernardo's kind of like shrugging his shoulders a little bit, thinking if nobody else is going to go, you know, I can't do this on my own. And when he was when he when he was brought off eventually, Bernardo, he sort of looked exasperated, shaking his head a little bit. Like I tried really hard there, but nobody around me really seemed to. And I've I've not made a mark on this game at all. Yeah, I mean, Adam, the the other one is, of course, Foden, who played there uh, against Marseille. I mean, it's not he he won't want to be playing wide left, but I, I mean, it, it works pretty well. Yeah, I think we'll we'll always get a hundred percent from Foden wherever he plays. We we know from his youth team days that he's he is effective uh, through the middle, uh, just behind the strikers. Um, but I think I'd going back to Bernardo just a step. I'd have him in any position on the pitch. I'd even stick him on net, just in net, just to have his uh, efficiency <laughs> on on the pitch. So yeah. uh, Foden, I think the argument now is because we always thought, oh, well, Foden will replace Silva naturally and just slot into the middle. But now Pep seems to prefer him out wide and he's done so well out wide that why would you change it? And we're also at the, in the same breath um, screaming out for Bernardo to get more minutes in the middle as well. So I think pro- I'd pro- probably prefer to see Bernardo have more games in the middle and um, and sacrifice folding out wise because I think he's just as effective out there at the moment with his... Uh, especially if he stretches the game, yeah. Exactly, that's it's proofs in the pudding at the moment. Yeah, um, I, I want to ask about uh, Rodri and Gundogan together because uh, cool. the one the one thing I thought, again, against Marseille, the fact that, that the pitch was being stretched up front, it, it gave them to much more room to operate, Adam. Does that, does that, uh, does that fair? Yeah, I mean the double, the famous double pivot now sends shivers down my spine whenever I see it in the team lineup, <laughs> and it's bizarre because sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think what you've said it hits the nail on the head there, David, is that if the the uh, pitch is widened and and we've got we're operating with so much width like we were in Marseille, that gives gives them almost more room to manoeuvre and not be stood on each other's toes doing the same job. And again, we almost appear to be one man less because they're both doing the same thing in that engine room, so to speak. So again... Kind, kind of gets Gundogan a bit further forward, doesn't exactly, it? Exactly. Yeah. So you've got more width with them, with the uh, wingers spread out, and he can then step up into that middle bit that you'd, you'd expect um, would be congested if they were coming inside. So if there is certain aspects where that double pivot can work I'd much rather see just one person doing the holding and us just going all out attack but it's not my job on the line it's perhaps at the end of the day <laughs> and he's going to he's going to choose players that aren't going to get in the sack so um it will work if we create more space for them to to operate in that middle uh, in the middle of the field so if we're going to have an all out expansive with, with with attack then they can play together if not we need so if we're going to come inside we need one of them just doing that job and needing a lot of legs to do that job and have either of them got those legs yeah this i mean this is going to sound mad kieran but like even just playing players on their natural side and not inverting the wingers does that does that make kevin de bruyne better as well yeah, um, yeah, it absolutely does, and that's a really nice question because when I think about De Bruyne, we've talked loads already about you know the difference between two performances, Saturday to Tuesday. Um, De Bruyne, I think, when you introduce him from the bench, um, I don't think he can dictate the game. You know, when the game's pace is already being dictated, I think introducing De Bruyne from the bench, I don't really remember that often where he's managed to completely grab the tempo and grab the game by the scruff of the neck and start kind of 
dictating and controlling and conducting things. In but fairness, when, like he doesn't come off the bench that often. Though, no, he doesn't. So. He doesn't but I just remember, do you remember in the summer against Southampton when we were 1-0 down basically the whole game? He came on and he just, every touch just ballooned off his foot. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, um, when you introduce him late, I, I don't think it works as well as when he kind of sets the whole metronomic pace of the game. Um, and when he was on the ball, on Tuesday night against Marseille, everything he touched just turned to gold, I thought, because um, he knew who who he was looking for, where they were going to be, and the kind of like, there was there was no sort of confusion or or, or kind of like, uh, nobody was in somewhere that they weren't, you know, like, um, that they weren't intended to be. There was nothing kind of like, everything he... he Everything he saw in front of him made sense to him, if that if yeah. you get what I mean. Um, and it was much easier for him to kind of con- control things. The pitch was so wide, and the space that he kind of was afforded, to, he was everywhere. Can I, really nice can I just ask you, did you just say everything he touched turned to gold or goal? Gold. Oh, nice pun. Not not goal. I'm just checking there wasn't like you hadn't slipped a pun in there without uh, <laughs> without my permission. <laughs> um we touched on Sterling being on the right-hand side, Adam. Um, how how do you think he's doing at the moment, uh, confidence-wise? Because you look at, at the miss against West Ham, you know, following on from the miss against Leon at, at the end of last season, um, you can't blame him for having a bit of a downer on his on his performances recently. But he's still getting himself into positions. He's still asking for the ball. He's still, I mean, he's still scoring goals. Yeah, he's definitely not a shirker. Um, I think what I fear now for Sterling is he's always going to have that label because he always he does always have a miss in him. And then I always find that he a couple of minutes later he'll get a harder chance and convert it because Sterling's always guilty of doing the hard bit and then fluffing it when he, he just runs into trouble so many times. But because he gets so many chances, he's going to take some of them. Uh, we need him to be more clinical, but he's never a shirker. Um, he never goes hiding. He always wants the ball, like you say. And um, I think he's in a great uh, run of form. This this form that he, he only had a bit of a dip after the Wolves away last year when he didn't score for a couple of a couple of months. And then, but apart from that, this run of form has just continued. But I'm I'm afraid that as fans, we we do know that he has got that glaring miss in him. Um, but you just you just I, have to put up with it, though, don't you? Because I mean, yeah, you look exactly. at his numbers; his numbers still yes. stack up. You're never going to see us absolutely slag him off because he does everything else so so well. And if he's not scoring, he's going to be providing or certainly getting us up the pitch at a rate of knots. So we, we kind of, like you say, that's a price we pay, knowing that he's got that little lapse of concentration in front of goal when it seems too easy to score, he's, he's probably going to miss. But we, we'll never level that at him because he's, he's our shining light without Aguero up top now. Yeah, I mean, given how old he is as well, Kieran, uh, this is I find this astonishing. He's nine goals away from being the all-time highest English scorer in the Champions League. Wayne Rooney's got 30, uh, Paul Scholes has got 24, Frank Lampard 23, and then Gerard and Sterling in fifth place on 21. Wow, that's incredible. Um, for somebody who's quite highly rated, he's really underrated. Um, <laughs> a, 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 nine goals and with such a career ahead of him still. Yeah. Um, He'll, sm- he'll absolutely be- smash this record. Yeah. Um, and it's brilliant that Rooney's the one who we need to, to, to get past as well, you know. Um, Sterling getting ahead of United player. What more could you say about that? What a brilliant boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, he didn't play through the middle against uh, Marseille. That was Farron Torres. Uh, how do you think he did, Kieran? Yeah, he did well. Um, well, he got a goal, didn't he? Um, he... 
yeah, he's looking all right. Um, I thought he was a, quite anonymous in his first couple of appearances. Um, against was it Bournemouth in the um, in the Carabao. Like every time he touched it, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot he was on the pitch. Um, and and now in the past, like in the as he's been slowly introduced to the side, he seems to have settled really well. Um, and I and I thought Sane took sort of half a season to settle, and and Torres now is leading the line in the Champions League for us very quickly. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's um, it's it's credit to him. He's looking like he um, talking about long careers. It's looking like he could be somebody to uh, to to look out for. He could really quickly find himself a bit of a fan favourite, especially when we're crying out for him. And in terms of we need somebody to lead the line, or we need somebody to uh, extend the pitch and offer some width. So yeah, I mean, he, he offers us plenty, doesn't he? And what we're looking for. Were you one of those, Adam, uh, on Saturday lunchtime tearing your hair out when you thought, well, we just need a bit of an attacking spark and then you saw Zinchenko coming on for, was it Cancelo in the end? Yeah, I tweeted about that at the time, but then it turned out that it was because of the uh, injury to Walker, his exhaustion. But Torres, um, I was one of the ones who commented early on in Torres's start when he didn't look interested against Bournemouth. I got absolutely slated. So now I'm no longer allowed to praise him when he does well uh, (laughs) recently because everyone just reminds me of that. Twitter's unforgiving for that. So yeah, he gives us us that um, pace up front that we lost when we've when Sane was out of the team. I'm not ready to compare him to Sane just yet, but as in terms of uh, such a bargain that we got him for, uh, I think he's the one to really drive our attack in the future now. Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging all my hopes on him now, so he, he better do well. <laughs> another injury to Aguero, though, Adam. Um, are you worried? Yeah, I think, do we come to expect that now? Um, we'd look a different side without Aguero, but the Aguero that we keep getting back after these injuries isn't the fittest one. I'm, the last few times that Aguero has been out, Gabby's been out as well. So we've had to force Aguero to come back without really bedding him in. Um, so I think I've heard bizarre rumours that we'd be getting Daniel Sturridge back on a free and stuff like that. I think that's just Carlton what? Cole and me. Mi- yeah, Carlton <laughs> Cole and Mika Richard said Daniel Sturridge would be a great uh, free replacement whilst we've got two injuries. But I think, like we say, you've got Torres leading the line. Delap can come in and do a job. I'd, I'd rather we stuck with Delap than uh, Hearts back to the storage days. Just checking now if he's uh, what, what's going on with Daniel Sturridge. Is he, is he a free agent at the moment? I think he's in Turkey, but uh, it was Carlton Cole and Micah Richards were asked the question. <laughs> And it's just kind of spun from there, but we shouldn't be harking back to those days, surely. That, that has absolutely stunned me. That one. I'm not, I just don't see that. Don't see that happening at all. Um, I, I, I was going to ask here, and like in terms of City and and their start to the season, uh, how much of, of the patchy form, you know, the, 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 those those draws against Leeds, West Ham, those sorts of things, how much of that is down to the fact that they haven't had a recognised striker for so long? Sorry, my ears are just recovering from your what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's. It's one of those where a, a perfect storm has co- kind of formed around City, um, with so many different mitigating circumstances, and a lot of this patchy form. I mean, I think I looked at the league table the other day, and there's only five teams who've scored less than City, although we have a game in hand. Um, so we, we're on what eight goals or something so far, and you're looking at it going, you know, we're the team who score who've scored a hundred plus goals in the past couple of seasons under Pep. Uh, you know why aren't we why aren't we firing on all cylinders so many like Mourinho Spurs are outscoring us massively um, and then you look and go well of course we've got we've only got two strikers really recognised and both of them are absent so it, it will be a case of 
if we get those little one nils and get us over the line that way, you'll be glad of it because you know we've got we've got nobody kind of leading the line as a target person the way and you know we've got one of the Premier League all time greatest striker um, who's missing and who's whose form's patchy uh, when he comes back and who's not being as Adam said bedded in properly. Um, uh, it, it's really really tough and you know you can see why you can see why Guardiola is looking a bit um, baggy under the eyes. And a bit grey and fed up because you know he's, he's, he's keeping to, him up. This, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's trying to get goals out of a team that have no goal scorers. Um, but like, well, uh, you know, I'm 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 being um, be, being very flippant there. When of course you've got Raheem Sterling who can score so many. But yeah, um, in in Jesus's and Aguero's absence, I mean, it's just so so patchy up there. And you know, Pep threw his Kodigan off um, to one side the other day against West Ham after Sterling missed that. But like. There's an awful lot of pressure on Sterling's shoulders. He is a goal scorer, but he's not a recognised striker. So, you know, when he's getting into these positions, and they're, they're difficult sometimes one on one. And Sterling sometimes, by I think his own admission, kind of gets caught in two minds. And when he's got more time to think about things, it's not ideal for him. So, I wonder how much of that pressure as well comes from the fact that maybe like he goes through in that in that position. Even at the time it happened, it was really late in the game. But even if that had happened on sixty minutes or whatever, yeah, I, I just wonder if there's the pressure of going. We we might not create another chance for another fifteen minutes, sir. Yeah. That's it. Well, Aguero, Aguero is just one of the most instinctive strikers you'll ever see. His his job is bread and butter. What he thrives on is you know having one second to think and managing to carve out a goal from from it. And Sterling isn't like that. You know, Sterling's kind of bread and butter, and what makes him tick is thrust and run from the wing usually. And and when he's when he's faced with these kind of one-on-one situations and everything gets to him and the pressure is kind of adding up at the end of a game and he's got a bit of a track record for big misses too yeah. you know it's all it's it all, all adds up every time yeah yeah. Um, there was controversy around uh, West Ham's goal, so let's clear this up then. Uh, last season, that goal probably would have been disallowed because of the use of the hand by Thomas Suchek, deliberate or not. Uh, unfortunately, as as hard as this is to believe, there's no actual direct comparison with a similar incident from the Premier League last season. So we can't say that conclusively, but we think it would be. Uh, however, under the laws this season, because Suchek laid the ball back to Vladimir Kufal, who then crossed the ball for Mikel Antonio, it happened too early in the move for an accidental handball to matter. The VAR did check the incident because a deliberate handball there would still rule out the goal because it would be a foul in the build-up to the goal and and handball has to be deliberate. Um, But because of Suchek's body position, the position of the arm, it was deemed not to be deliberate because he wasn't making his, uh, what's the the word they use, silhouettes. It wasn't making his silhouette any bigger. Um, Has that cleared it up, Adam? Make sense? (laughs) <laughs> so now, so now you can't. It's the build-up to the build-up that you you um, that you're not guilty in. Then, yeah. So, if, if the if the handball had happened uh, by the player who crossed it, then it yeah. would be given. Right. Okay. So we can play basketball up until the assist, and then uh, <laughs> you're not allowed to score. No, I think I don't think anyone knows. I'm I don't profess to knowing the laws or keeping up with the laws because they change so frequently. Um, I'm I am a big believer of it does even itself out over the course of a season however disgustingly cliche that is um but uh, you know it's just frustrating when it's so 
clearly would have been an issue last season and then all of a sudden it's not and it always seems to be us being the uh, new founders of all these rules yeah, I think we're we, always we, one season too late yeah, aren't we <laughs> exactly <laughs> with the VAR and with the handball change it always seems to be us I don't know whether that's because we only watch us but we are so, certainly the early adopters to anything that could go wrong it <laughs> does go wrong yeah Kieran uh, have you got more complaints more than the handball or the fact that that three City players just stopped in the build up to that goal yeah uh, yeah Gondolin Gundogan, who I actually think is having a, a, a pretty good season so far, um, just really, you know, he put the hand up, he turned his body the full way around to look at the ref. And meanwhile, all this kind of movement was going on behind him. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the old adage, isn't it? Played at the whistle, like... Um, City well, it's not, it's not anymore, though, is it? Given the way that VAR works, it's play beyond the whistle and keep playing yeah, until yeah, they've decided going, that yeah. everything's all right. <laughs> True, yeah. Um, I, I, I thought... The finish from Antonio was amazing, but so much kind of in the build-up was just um, wasn't to my satisfaction really. Um, I thought the way people stopped and the, the um, Kufa was allowed to cross; it was a lovely cross for him. I thought Diaz kind of being behind him was a bad idea. You know, it would have been much nicer if he had been in front of him because trying to kind of go one on one with the strength of Antonio was going to always be difficult for him. And, you know, he managed, he's a great striker in form and he managed to carve out a brilliant finish. Um, but in the build up to that, it was just, um, it's, it feels a little bit that City have been bitten before by the handball. So they were, you know, that that is why they some of the players were so vociferously kind of appealing um, because, you know, we've watched we watched the uh, Laporte handball and even, do you remember Liverpool when yeah. we should have won 5 0 and Barres had like fallen over in the ball at yeah. his hand or something? In the build up, yeah. In the build up. And so surely City, I'm not sure City players are going to sit down and read the rule book. They're just going to see a handball that's appeal for this because they surely can't go ahead. But um, yeah, play beyond the whistle, lads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the, as one of you mentioned, I can't remember who it was now, but one of you mentioned that it was a bit of a surprise that Pep Guardiola went with an unchanged team. Well, when he did against West Ham, it was the first time he'd done it in nearly two years. An unchanged team is something City have very rarely done since the takeover in 2008. In fact, you might be surprised to learn what the longest run of unchanged teams is for the club in the last 12 years. Here's Sam Roscoe to explain. It's no secret that Roberto Mancini was the superstitious type. There's that story of the team bus going the wrong way from the hotel on the way to Wembley for the FA Cup semi-final against United and Mancini making them take the exact same route before the final and getting stuck in traffic outside the ground. And There's a few other things like how he used to have to dab wine behind his ears if he ever spilled it on the tablecloth. Um, how he also banned the club from having um, a purple away kit while he was there because in Italy I believe purple is the colour of mourning. Uh, which is a shame because I've always liked the purple kits we've had over the years. And I think even wearing um, the club scarf on the touchline might have had an element of superstition to it. And, you know, if it made him feel more comfortable and confident, then uh, who are we to argue? That's one football's Dan Burke talking us through some of the former manager's more well-known superstitions. It's no surprise then that when push came to shove in the title race in 2012, Mancini fell back on what he knew. It all started the day City beat Wolves 2-0 at Molyneux. The manager spoke to the BBC. They told the guys before the game that it was a difficult game because I think that uh, Wolves don't deserve to to be relegated. I don't think that we played very well, but we had, uh, I think, maybe six, seven incredible chances to score more goals. For this, I'm so upset 
because when you have a chance, you should score because you should close, you should close the game before. If not, you can you, you can take a risk uh, for nothing if you don't close the game. Despite not being happy with that performance, Mancini decided not to change his team for the next match, the Manchester Derby. It was a huge game. United were three points ahead of City at the top of the table after their four-all draw with Everton the weekend before, and a win would put City back in control of the title race with two games left. City won 1-0. I think that uh, every manager can choose uh, his team. I think that for them it was important to play for a draw, because with uh, one draw, the game, the championship was finished. I think that we, we play better, we deserve to win, we had the chance. Uh, it was difficult because they play with all players behind the ball. It was not easy to find a good solution to score. Mancini made it three unchanged games in a row for the trip to Newcastle the next weekend. But, like the game at Wolves, City didn't dominate the game easily. In fact, it was a formation change from the bench that made all the difference. Carlos Tevez off, Nigel de Jong on, and Yaya Toure further forward. That uh, was an option also before the game because we thought for two or three days if it's better to play with uh, like we started or with Yaya behind uh, one striker, another striker left. We thought this, uh, but uh, I was sure that. Uh, to put the in that position was uh, was good today. So despite having plenty of different options, given how superstitious the manager was, is it really any surprise that he named an unchanged 11 for the final match of the season with QPR? Again, however, City didn't play that well though. And let's be honest, it wasn't exactly a normal game of football. They left it late, but they did get over the line with a big helping hand from substitutes Edin Dzeko and Mario Balotelli. I think that is a crazy finish for a crazy season. I have never seen a final like this. The best team the best team won the title, sure. The team that played the best football, the team that conceded less goals, the team that scored more goals, the team that beat two, two times United, and when you beat two times United, and we score more goals than them, we consider less goals than them. You deserve to win. It may be hard to believe, but those four games in the title running back in 2012 is City's longest spell of going unchanged in the last 12 and a bit years. And given Pep Guardiola has gone unchanged just once since November 2017, I wouldn't expect that to change anytime soon. Hello, this is Jason Manford and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. So that was a look there at City going unchanged in recent Premier League games. And now time to have a look ahead at the game with Sheffield United on Saturday. Uh, and we're joined by a Sheffield United fan, the Travelling Blade. Ben, welcome to the programme. Um, looking at your recent Thanks, form, um, it's, 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 it's a weird one for Sheffield United at the moment, isn't it? Because I look at their position in the table and, and, the, and the actual results and it doesn't look great at all. But then I look at the performances and especially against Liverpool, Pool, for instance, you you looked like you like you were pushing them really really quite hard. Yeah, it's quite strange. I think our um, our best performance of the season has come against um, 
the hardest team we've played. You know, before the Liverpool game, I was quite optimistic of a, a rather weakened Liverpool side. Um, hopefully, hopefully with Adrian in net. And yet, basically everyone but Van Dijk was out there. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, it's always better to play against... I always prefer to play against the best players because there's no excuses then. Um, and even if you do win, people can't say, oh, it was because you had a weakened team. But yeah, I think this season, it's um, it's quite annoying. Like, I, I remember Chris Wilder saying a few days ago that um, if you look at last, at this point in the season, last season, uh, we were sat on about eighth points doing quite well, you know, probably in the, I'd imagine in the top 10 with eight points at this point. Um, and he said that I don't, he said himself, I don't think there's too much difference between how well we performed at this point last season and how well we performed so far in this season. And I think I largely agree with him. Obviously, I, um, we, it hasn't been as good quite clearly. Um, but I think if you, if you take a very general, vague overlook, uh, like a, a, a summer, uh, you know, a summary of the snapshot of how we've played in the games, um, it has largely been the same, largely been to the same quality. Same quality. I mean, the first game against Wolves, um, we played nothing like we can. But game by game, we've got closer to uh, vintage Sheffield United, you know, textbook. Sheffield United, the type of performances, the type of style of play um, that got us into the Premier League, the style of play that got us into the top 10, the style of play that got us once, at one point, even dreaming of Europe. Um, and slowly, slowly, but I think surely we are getting there bit by bit. Um, you know, it, it took us a while to unlock, you know, actually trying to set up these, uh, these overlaps on the wings, these passing triangles on the wings, these incisive passes from out wide. Um, you know, for a while, it, it took us to remember that we actually need to try and do that and actually need to try and create chances to score goals. But I think the main difference between this season and last so far is, to be fair, last season, we didn't create many chances as it was. And even those we created, we didn't take too many. Um, but this season, we're, we're creating less chances. Uh, like I said, it took us a while to try and like, actually remember <laughs> what to actually do. We looked like a bunch of strangers the first game at Wolves, a bunch of strangers playing their first professional football game. Um, but I, this season we're creating less chances. Those that we have created, we haven't taken. We've missed some sitters. There's been some great saves, I can't lie. But you've got to, from some of the positions we've been in, we've got to bury some of these chances. Um, you know, stuff. Like, there's that. Furthermore, um, last season one of the cornerstones of our uh, of our success, let's say, was um, how resolute our defence was, how solid our defence was. You know, for large parts of the season. Um, our defence con had conceded as many goals as Liverpool's. Uh, Liverpool's defence, which cost far more and had, you know, uh, players of the season in that defence. And we've conceded as many goals as they had. Um, whereas this season, you know, there's been parts where for the large part, I'd say especially against Leeds, a very good attacking Leeds side, you know, we stagnated the game, we kept them at bay and we, you know, we held our, we held our nerve. But then in the 86th minute, we had a momentary lapse in defence. Bamford scores, we lose 1-0. Uh, Wolves 2-0 down in six minutes. And I think for the large part of the game, we're, we're still fairly resolute, but it's these momentary lapses in defence uh, which are really costing us and led us to be second bottom in the league. Yeah, I mean, just looking at, at players lost as well, I mean, how how, how big has the loss of, of Dean Henderson been? Yeah, I mean, it's always a bit of a sum for me because I really want to get behind Ramsdale and I want to sort of like almost forget Dean Henderson. Um, yeah, it, it's a big loss, but I think I think well, I say it's it's a it's a big loss losing Dean Henderson, but I think we've bridged most of that gap in getting Aaron Ramsdale. I think getting signing Aaron Ramsdale has been a brilliant piece of business. Um, it's going to sound quite bad and sort of playing him down here, but I think 
Aram Amsdale is the best we could get with our resources for many reasons. He's a blade through and through, came through our academy. He's a brilliant young goalkeeper. Yes, he's not as good as Dean Henderson, but that was never going to happen. But I think pound pound for pound, he's probably he's better value for money. It's a big loss. Other big losses has been uh, Jack O'Connell out for the season. Um, I think like Chris Wilder said, um, that's actually a bigger loss to us than Van Dijk being out for Liverpool is, is a loss to them. It's a bit, um, you know, he's fundamental to our success. He's been with us since League One. Last season, people were waxing lyrical about our overlapping centre-backs. That was sort of the cliche for us. And Jack O'Connell really is the poster boy for that. We've still got Chris Basham, who is absolutely incredible and just as good. But Jack O'Connell is still a massive asset lost. And Adam, I, I, I guess, you know, listening to, to what Ben's got to say there, I, I mean, it, I don't really know how to feel about this as a City fan because the one thing we've said about City for the last kind of 18 months or so is that, that they haven't taken chances when they've been given them. If Sheffield United stay resolute for most of the game but then provide one or two chances, City are going to have to take them. And that, that I, don't know, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, we, we just don't take chances anymore, do we? Um, I think... It's not going to be an easy game. We know that against Sheffield United from the two games we played last uh, last year against them. Yes, we didn't concede, but uh, we only scored a couple of goals as well. Um, I think we need to be clinical uh, to beat this type of opposition. Like you say, they are resolute and that's what they've, they're have they good at. And uh, I'm just hoping that a couple of those momentary lapses in concentration that Ben's alluded to uh, happen against us as well this weekend. Uh, Kieran, we've talked earlier in the show about uh, a City striker situation. Obviously, no Aguero. We discussed Torres a bit earlier on. Could he be the one that, that, that leads the line? It's looking like Pep might decide that, yeah. Um, so we did okay in, in midweek against Marseille, as we've covered. But um, there was word that Liam Delap wasn't eligible to play against Marseille in the week. But he might fancy him against Sheffield United this weekend. And... I, I, don't, I sort of don't see any reason why we shouldn't go for, you know, for a recognised striker. I thought, as as we said, Torres did really well, but it would be nice to see him in his natural position. And it would be nice to see a natural striker actually leading the line again and give some of the sort of, um, sort of build-up play, some penetration at the end and something to aim for as a target. Yeah, no, no, not Sterling through the middle for you. Not Sterling through the middle for me, unfortunately, no. Um, Adam's kind of touched upon it. We're not taking our chances. And unfortunately, lots of the chances fall to Sterling. Um, and as we know, I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from him. He got 31 goals last season, didn't he? Um, so he's he's amazing. He scores lots for us. But sometimes at the minute, when his form uh, in front of goal just seems a little bit shot, I might like to see somebody else get a go. And uh, Sterling, out where he belongs on the wing, because he, he, he did really well midweek. And we know... Um, we know the kind of cut and thrust of him, what he can offer from that from that area of the pitch. Yeah, Ben. Just listening to uh, you speak before about about you know the triangles and stuff on the wings. Um, how is Chris Wilder likely to set up for this one? Because the one thing that City have struggled against this season has been a, when teams have had a back five with a low block. Is that is that the sort of thing he'll he'll go for and just try and keep City out basically? Well, I always, what I like about the way we approach every game, we always have the same the same formation, at least starting formation. We can end up with we have ended up with four strikers on at one point. God knows what the formation was at that. Um, <laughs> but we always start out as sort of a a three five two slash five three two. So it's always your three centre backs, your two wing backs, three in midfield, two strikers. No matter who we're playing, home and away, pretty much since his fourth game into League One, his fourth game with Sheffield United, we've played, we've started. Um, like that every game, and what what's good about that? And I think when when we're 
at our best. We haven't really seen it too much this season. But I, I think I, I always say that I think we play like a rugby team at times where uh, we attack all together, we defend all together. You know, everyone's involved in everything, really. Um, and the best thing about that lineup for me is that, you know, we can, if needs be, go to a back five. You know, it is there with your three, your three centre backs and your two wing backs go to a back five. But also when we get possession, or if we get possession in this case against City, um, and we need to counter an attack, it just goes to a 3 5 2. I'll say that I'll probably be one at the back with your um, Basham and whoever's in place <laughs> for O'Connell um, overlapping on the wings. So, you know, we do we do sort of attack def- attack together, defend together. So if, if, a, back, if a back five is needed to frustrate City, um, we can do that. But it won't be too negative because as soon as we get the ball, we go right three five two go quick get it out onto the wings, um, get it to the wing backs. Let's see how you know can make some uh, inroads into the box. Um, you know, so I think I think we can. It's, it's you know it's um, sort of like the Swiss Army knife of lineup uh, set setups for us. You know, it, it can be, it's versatile. We adapt to the game. Um, you know, Chris Wilder set it up so we can go from being resolute in defence. But not too negative, and the next minute we're trying to overload you in the box. Hopefully, at least. Yeah, uh, Ben, you, it was refreshing to hear you not mention the, the absence of fans in the reason for your downturn in form. Because last season, that game you talked about, uh, I think that's because my, my mic cut out, mate. Sorry, sorry, oh. to <laughs> that's because my mic cut out. I would <laughs> definitely, yeah. definitely nail on the lack of fans as one of the yeah. reasons why we're doing horrendous <laughs> at the minute. Yeah, I've been using that as an excuse for everything. So I was going to say, you had an amazing start to last season and it kind of dipped after the restart and then again at the start of this season. Uh, Laporte, I remember getting a torrid time at your place. He'd just come back from injury. <laughs> we were all trying to wrap him in cotton wool and a couple of your players went yeah, through him straight away. I think that was a tactic. Um, so how how much of an impact have those fans been and can City expect an easier game because we've not got to play in front of your fans at, at your stadium? Um, I think whatever, however difficult it is for Man City, whether it's easy or hard, it, whatever it will be on Saturday, um, it will be easier than if there were fans there. Um, I think that's one of the things we're reliant on, really, is making Bramall Lane a cauldron. You know, that uh, that toxic, uh, vociferous Yorkshire, Sheffield atmosphere, you know, against... Well, I remember thinking, like, you've got, you've got players in the Man City squad that, you know, I think you know. I think you know, when you look at teams like you, you know, let's say you're expensive teams. You know, you man, you Man City, you Liverpool, you Man United, your Arsenal's people like that. You think you think you think of these um, Premier League prima donnas. Um, whereas you've got our boys that have like used to like slugging it out in the in the lower echelons of uh, English football, and you think you might get them to Sheffield and just you know, when you've got people like Laporte um, um, on the touchline getting. Um, <laughs> getting dogs abuse from big fat Kev sat on the front row. I don't think that used to be fair. And I thought, you know, we need people like that. You know, just that toxic um, vociferous Sheffield atmosphere, and not just. I think, I think, obviously, like making it, making it, um, you know, making it unpleasant for the opposition is one thing. But I, I think the main thing, the main thing is not just like making it hard. You know, making it bad for the opposition is actually being the wind in the sails of the team. You know, there's been there's many there's been many a times. You know, even in League One under different managers, where we've had lulls in the game, and you think, God, there's just there's no spark coming from anywhere, and you just have that driving mantra, just United, United, United. It's nothing, nothing flash. It's nothing fancy. Just basic, just Sheffield United, just driving that chant out for like a solid five to ten minutes, uh, and then you'll get a moment like someone will have a shot that's like 
um, goes out for a corner or someone will put a big tackle in or someone will play a through ball. You know, to get this surging roar from the crowd. And then next minute, we're all over their goal line. And it, it, I really have seen it on several occasions just boost the team from a, like a lull where you're thinking there is no way, in, you know, no way we're scoring whatsoever here. Uh, and then next minute, we know we're all over their box. And I, I really think that was one of the one of the key strings to our bow last season. It, it takes me back, Adam. I, I, just hearing Ben talk about uh, about Bramall Lane like that, and I, I just got thinking about Main Road in the 90s and how we used to get on the back of our own team and make it hard for our own team. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We've been there as well. We can turn <laughs> our own players to be Yeah. Um, Kieran, it, it, listen, listening to that and like, like looking at, at City's season, it really is interesting how, because you, you can spin this one or two ways. You can say City have started badly, two wins in five Premier League games. Yeah. You can also spin it the other way and say, well, they've only actually lost one game in nine games in all competitions. So like, it really, I, I really don't know where to pitch City at the moment. <laughs> no, I don't either. Um it feels like it's been a turgid start to the campaign in the Premier League, but I I, I had no idea that we had won only one defeat in nine. Um, so yeah, if you sp- if you want to be a spin doctor that way, David, go for it. But um, <laughs> I mean, I think the, the the proof is on the pitch a little bit sometimes, isn't it? Some of the performances have just been very very leggy. Um, we just look as if we're out there without a cause. Um, it's the worst start to a Premier League campaign since two thousand and fourteen. I might be right in saying. Correct. Um, and in those first five games we had, we beat Newcastle, beat Liverpool, Liverpool, uh, lost to Stoke, which I'm still not over, uh, drew with Arsenal and drew with Chelsea. So we, we had we had five very difficult games. The, the five that we've had so far, um, you probably would have been looking at those thinking we should have more than eight points at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing I, I think about it all, Adam, as well, is is like Kieran said, in terms of performances, it's not been great for City. I mean, like when when you when you look at performances and, and tough places to go, like Ellen Road, not a, not not an easy place to go. I mean, City normally do well at, at West Ham, and it and it turned out not to be an easy place to go. You kind of don't want to follow that up with a trip to Bramall Lane, do you? No, that's why I'm glad there's no fans there, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it's a tough place to go. We have a weird um, kind of relationship with the, these type of grounds and teams where we know we're going to be in for a, a struggle and we're not going to blitz them away. Um, and I think Bramall Lane's going to be one of those um, those grounds for us whilst Sheffield United are in the Premier League. We're not going to have it all our own way. They will get amongst us. And this is one of those games, that if you can just get away with three points and a 1-0 like we did last season it's job done these aren't the games you're going to want you're going to be able to come and uh, impose yourself on and play free-flowing football because they just won't sit back and let us do that they will be up in it up in our grill so let's get the job done and get out of there kind of thing yeah um just before we get a score prediction from you ben uh, i'd just like to ask i mean in, in terms of players who should city be wary of that we, that we might not necessarily be aware of at the moment uh, I'd say um, i'd say our best player so far this season has been uh, sander berger in midfield and um as I like to call him, Yaya Norway. Um, <laughs> I think the way he's been absolutely brilliant for us so far this season. I think one of the things I love about watching him is that um, he's, he's quite, he's, he's a big lad, um, but he just sort of like lollops around. It's like, you know, is that like martial art where it's, I don't know what it's called, but it's like, it looks like you're falling over and the next minute you've won the fight. He's like, he just sort of lollops <laughs> around in midfield and you're thinking, God, he's lost it here. And the next minute he's like beating two defenders. You're thinking, you know what? I bet he even meant that. So it's just like um, 
he's got he's just so big and then he's actually got a decent finish on him as well he's been brilliant for us he likes to tackle we had all the arsenal fans crying because i thought oh bamian could have died because he you know just faced a decent tackle you know what i mean welcome to sheffield <laughs> um but i think he's been our best asset so far whether in what way he'll pose a threat to city i'm not sure in, I, I doubt he'll be in, on the cards to bag a hat trick he's so, you know he's played as a center mid um, he might even end up being like a CDM, depending on you know how much possession you have on Saturday. But I think he's definitely been um, uh, sort of an anchor in midfield for you know just doing a bit of the dirty work, getting in front of the box and just passing it around a bit. You know, trying to carve out defenses for the more let's say the maybe the more uh, the quicker, more creative, more plays with greater finesse on the ball. Let's say um, to actually you know have a shot on goal. Yeah. So go on then. What's your score prediction for this game? Well, the other day I said 2-1, but I'm more optimistic now. I'm going to go 2 all. Where we're getting two goals from, I'm yet to see. <laughs> well, we'll get that yeah, in the charity yeah. bet for you later on. Uh, ben, the Travelling Blade, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us on today's show. Thanks for having me on. Now, City's Champions League games are coming thick and fast at the moment, but before we look ahead to the match with Olympiacos next Wednesday, let's get a little bit more information about the opposition. I've been speaking to Lambros Surmos from the Greek Football and Olympiacos podcast, Gate 7 International, to find out how the opposition are faring this season. Well, that's that's a tough question. You know, um, I think uh, you'd see a range of answers from Olympiacos fans this year. Of course, last season we beat Arsenal in the round of 32, we went on to face Wolves and were knocked out in England. We thought we played a fantastic game. And to be honest, last season, many would say last season, Totally Biakos was one of the best teams we've seen in a long time, maybe five, six, seven years, maybe more. And last season was interesting because we hadn't won any trophies until last season. We won the double pretty comfortably, I would say. And we played the best football we've played in a long time. And I would say a lot of Olympiacos Fans and players and supporters were really excited that the project we've built was finally culminating in something. So this was supposed to be a season that we were really excited about. We did lose, for me, one of our best players I've ever seen, Kostas Chimikas, which was very difficult. We also lost our other right-sided fullback, Omar Labdelawi, to Galatasaray. And those were two really important positions for us, and it's been tough to replace them, I would say. But this is supposed to be a really good team. We hoped it would be a good team, but... It's been an interesting start, I would say. Has I mean, has the situation with COVID had a had a or made it difficult for Olympiacos this season so far? You know, it's it's really tough to say. So um, I, I would say the the COVID situation hurt us because of the lack of preseason, um, and I I think you can see that clearly with our new signings, uh, new signing Bruma, new signing Vinagre from Wolves hadn't played their first game until literally yesterday against Porto, and they came on as subs. So Olympiacos was in a position where its new signings really haven't gelled together, I would say is the word, with the rest of the team. And so we have holes throughout our team because of that. On the wing, we've we've had that hole since Daniel Podense left for Wolves as well. And at left back, we have a huge hole. We have Jose Holebas, the 36-year-old ex-Watford player, who many would say are, is not up to scratch for Olympiacos, but... Uh, that's a debate that's raging on in Greece. <laughs> I can uh, I can imagine. Um, in terms of uh, of this game coming up, then uh, obviously the the group is now starting to take a little bit of shape. Um, what what has the defeat against uh, Porto done for Olympiakos's kind of position and, and and feeling towards this group? Yeah, so it's a great question. So going into the group, we were 
really ecstatic, to be honest with you. We saw Marseille and Porto. These are two teams that we know are difficult, but we know we can beat. We were in a group last season with Tottenham and Bayern Munich, and we knew it was going to be really difficult. And we knew we could best hope for third place, if we're being honest. We could have maybe pushed Tottenham. We did push Tottenham. We went up 2-0 in England. We played a great game at home in Greece. But to be honest, we were looking at third place all time. This group was wide open. So the first win against Marseille, okay, we were off off the blocks and very excited, you know. But the, this game against Porto maybe brought us back to reality. It was difficult to watch last night, but... And and the game that was typical of Olympiacos this season, I should say. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of this one for City, what what are you what are your feelings towards it? You know, we we've gotten word that Kunaguero will not be playing, so okay, that that maybe is a benefit for us. We've always struggled against world class strikers. I, I say this on our podcast a lot. In the Champions League, we get burned honestly, consistently by Robert Lewandowski, Harry Kane last season. They really just showed their class, and that did us in. This first game against um, was it Marseille? Benedetto was pretty poor, pretty poor striker, and he didn't finish a great chance that he had. Going into the City game, I think we're just hoping for something. You know, it's it's going to be really hard, but without your guys' world class striker, we think maybe okay, we can hold on, we can set up shop, and maybe pull something out. But again, Olympiacos is not a team that travels extremely well, and going to England has always been a difficult place, other than. Arsenal, I would say. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that City have struggled with at, at times this season, weirdly not in the Champions League, more in the Premier League, is teams that have have kind of offered this low block. They've sit in, made a back five, and just really made things or cut out the space. Um, is that the sort of thing you expect to see from Olympiacos in this game? I, I think that's the only way we can approach it. Uh, one one of the ways that we were going to approach this Champions League is we were going to play a four three three with a midfield of Jan Envia, Andreas Bujalakis, and Mari Camara. That plan went down the drain a day before the Marseille game when Mari Camara, our star midfielder, tested positive for coronavirus. So it's been around two weeks, and we don't have any news yet on if he could be ready, if he would be ready. But if he was ready, I think we would go for four three three. And we would really play defensively. I think we would try to break you on the counter with our speedy wingers and try to whip in a ball to uh, El Arabi, our striker, who hasn't been in great form this season, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, who who are the uh, danger men? Who are the, who are the players that City should look out for and, and, and keep an eye on? Yeah, so uh, honestly, going forward, it's going to be Matthew Valbuena. This may shock a lot of people. He's a 36-year-old, but... He doesn't look a day over 25, to be honest with you. He's been fantastic for Olympiacos the past two seasons. He's stayed healthy. And he's going to be whipping the balls into Yusuf El Arabi, who was our top scorer last season and one of the best strikers I've seen play for Olympiacos as well. But this season, he's been very inconsistent. We're, we're starting to worry, and it's something we're beginning to question. As well, domestically, he's been struggling a bit. Yeah, what's I mean in in terms of uh, of uh, d- the domestic season and, and how that's going? Um, I've I've just looking at the record there. Is it one three drawn one so far? Yeah, exactly that, and that that may look very good, but we haven't played an exceptional Greek team, and the football hasn't been good. You know, um, from Olympiakos the past few years, we've been seeing really nice football, and lately it has been it hasn't been good. We haven't been able to score in the first half. This has been a big problem. And a big problem that burned us against Porto, we were unable to convert our chances. And 
it's something we were even seeing domestically, which is something a lot of times you don't see with Olympiacos. A lot of times, even if they're struggling a bit domestically, they should produce. But this season's been a bit weird. I think a lot of City fans can uh, can agree with that one. You know, not finishing chances. That's been, I think, for the last 18 months or so, that's been City's biggest problem. I mean, in, in when it comes to, this is obviously uh, at the Etihad Stadium and it's uh, obviously an away game for uh, for Olympiacos. Um, is, is it, does it change anything that there are no fans there, that it's going to be an empty stadium? I think, I, I honestly think, yeah, it may change things. Um, we have a lot of supporters in London and England in particular, and they love to travel. Um, I think we would have really helped having those fans there. But again, I, I, I just don't know with, with how the fans are affecting things. I, I haven't been able to put my, my finger on it, if it's negatively affecting us or if it's, it's confusing. You know, I, I, I can't really say for sure. Right. Uh, well, we have uh, a charity bet on the uh, on the Blue Moon podcast every uh, for every game that City play in. I'm rubbish at predicting scores, so uh, mm-hmm. give us a score prediction for this game, and uh, hopefully you can win us some money. Oh, it's going to be tough. I think it will probably be. I- I'm sorry, Olympiacos. I'm sorry to our listeners. I think it's going to be four-one City with Yusuf Al Arabi scoring one goal. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Lambros Sermros from the Gate 7 International Podcast there. Um, so Olympiakos at home. Uh, quick trivia, do either of you... I mean, Adam, I know you know the answer yeah. to this because uh, uh, why wouldn't you know the answer to this? But uh, Kieran, I'll ask you then. Uh, do you know who scored Olympiakos's only ever goal at the Etihad Stadium? I've not Googled this, but I'm assuming it's Yaya Toure. It is Yaya Toure, yeah. It was pre-season friendly in 2004, 2005? Right. Around about then. Uh, they lost 3-1. It's their only visit to uh, to, to, to City in, in their history. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was it was the good old Thomas Cook trophy. Who remembers that? <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Yeah. Um, Adam, I'm guessing you knew that already. There's no need yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you dine out on that one a few times, I think. That and the David Silva Valencia one. You, yeah. Uh, first goal, first goals at the Etihad by Silva yeah. and, uh, and Torre, but the opposition each time was City. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, we talked earlier on about uh, the contrast in City's performance in, in the uh, Champions League and the, uh, and the Premier League. Um, Adam, City's performances in the Champions League have been, you know, low key, quite good this season. Yeah, we look established. We look uh, like we know what we're doing as as uh, opposed to our Premier League uh, foray so far. We've looked controlled. Even uh, when Porto gave us a bit of a fright, uh, we needed to go again. We did go again. Uh, we've scored all different types of goals. Um, Kieran mentioned earlier, uh, set pieces, open play, and then expansive at Marseille. So it looks like we've really found our mojo in in that competition. And we, it is chalk and cheese with our league campaign so far. So we look established. We look like we know what we're doing. We look like we've, we belong in the Champions League. Whereas for so long, it was those type of performances that where we dominated in domestically and then Europe, we couldn't quite click. It's weirdly flipped over now at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really make sense either, Kieran, because uh, we always say that, that the games that City enjoy playing in at the moment are the games that are open. Well, both Porto and Marseille sat back. So, like, like how does that work? Yeah, I know. Um, why did Villas-Boas seem to um, act as if he'd won a competition to play Pep Guardiola? He was in absolute awe of, of playing him. Um, so, yeah, I think we benefited from that a little bit. AVB was just like, we can never win this. It's a game. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no... It, it um they did both sit back, but in in no way, shape, or form did it feel like the kind of turgid, leggy, leggy wooden kind of performances that we've got so far. I I really hope that 
this isn't due to you know us starting to take the Champions League more seriously at the at you know at the expense of the Premier League because I, I know I'm not speaking for every single fan or every single listener, but to the core fan base that I sort of know, um, we're all about kind of establishing ourselves as you know in the Premier League and kind of forming a dynasty there before we kind of dream about the Champions League. I think we we always seem to want the Premier League to be the priority. So I hope they're not seeing it as a, a sort of transitional season in the Premier League to then kind of put all our eggs in the Champions League basket because that that would worry me. I, I wouldn't worry about it. I don't think it. I, I don't think that's the case. I think Guardiola is very much set on win every single game ever. Yeah. Yeah. Just by the fact that he wins the League Cup every year, he just he, he goes. You know what? We need to win every game ever. That's that's the that's yeah. the thinking behind this. Um, Adam City can't qualify uh, from the group with a win, but it would put them to within a point of qualifying. So I, I imagine this is this. I mean, it, it doesn't change City's thinking about it. As we said before, they you know they, he wants to win every game, uh, but it would certainly put them into a healthy position if they could take the three points. Uh, yeah, I think uh, a perfect start is all you can ask for. Two home, uh, two home games, and an an away win. Um, looking at the group, we shouldn't have too much difficulty getting out of it, even if we don't win this game. But you'd like to, you almost like to secure your passage out of the group stages as soon as you can, and then hopefully we can transfer some of that form into our domestic campaign then and take one eye off uh, the Champions League until the latter stages. But it's no given. Obviously, we we can't just assume we're going to get past these because Porto have weirdly started this bizarre rivalry with us. Uh, a lot of their <laughs> players and management team came out after, started trying to make make something of it and we're going back to hell when we get go to their place. So that'll be a fun game to look forward to. <laughs> We've got to navigate Olympiacos first, but I'd like to, us to be in a, in a better position than having to go and face this weird newfound Porto team that just hates us all of a sudden. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let, let, let's be right, Olympiacos. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's, I mean, it, it, it's, shame I guess really Kieran that it's two new teams for the first time in what feels like about 100 years um, and we can't go to these games yeah I, I'm not, I don't know many people who were um, massively up for uh, Champions League home games as it were but um, yeah it's it's sad we don't get to boo the anthem at the moment <laughs> uh, but yeah the, I think the away fans in particular will be will be gutted it would have been really nice uh, to get a trip to the south of France and to get a, a trip to uh, to Greece in the kind of drudgery of the uh, the current climate and the weather it's it's yeah it's not pleasant no it's it's I mean it's always nice to say new um, new teams in the Champions League who is it Shakhtar that we um, that we normally play we always play Shakhtar. We always play Bayern Munich. We always play CSKA Moscow. That's how it, that's how it works. That's the group, isn't it? Every year until we're told otherwise. Yeah. Hope you're well, guys. <laughs> uh, right. So after success against Porto, we've drawn two more blanks in the charity bet. Two more chances, though, to add to the £85 raised so far this season. The money is going to the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester, and we've all got a £10 correct score single from William Hill on City's matches. Uh, we heard from our guest Ben, the Travelling Blade, a bit earlier on. He thinks 2-2 against Sheffield United, which is 16 to 1 and £160 if he's right. Adam, what are you having for Sheffield United? I'm just having City edging it 1-0. Uh, that's 17 to 2 and £85. Kieran, what have you got? Um, well, Ben put the fear of God into me, so I regret that. But I've gone 3-1. Uh, 3-1 is also 17-2 to and £85 if you're right. Uh, and we heard from Lambros there in the interview a bit earlier on that he thinks City are going to win uh, 4-1 against Olympiacos. Uh, and he did apologise to all his fellow Olympiacos fans with that one. Um, £120 if he's right, 12-1. to Kieran, what are you having? I've gone for 3-1 again. 3-1 uh, again is 17-2 to and £85. Uh, Adam, what are you having for this one? 
I'll up the ante with a 4-2 victory for the Blues. Well, let me just say, if you're right on this one, uh, then we owe you all sorts because it's uh, 125 to 1 and would represent our biggest ever win on the on the on the podcast and one thousand two hundred and fifty pounds. Let's uh, do which, it. Which is pretty much what we raised last season as a whole. <laughs> so um, I, I, I hope to God you're right on that one. But uh, you know that there is a reason why it's one hundred twenty five to yeah. one. I guess uh, you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. And for more information, please see begambleaware.org. Now we're going to finish with ask the panel. Get your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. and we're on Instagram as well. Just search Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, first up is Brian Dean on Twitter. He asks, "What is it with commentators always having to compare how much City have spent to how much their opposition?" have spent at what point does it lose all meaning we know city have spent a lot of money who the hell cares anymore adam yeah this is a big bugbear of mine i'm well i'm firmly installed as the uh anti-agenda uh blue um and, <laughs> and uh, another what thing that irks me that Brian kind of alludes to is that all our deals are reported with the wages and every signing on fee and everything else involved, which is utterly bizarre. The Cancelo one that gets thrown out every thrown out every time he touches the ball really irks me. I don't watch well, that, too- that, had, that had Danilo in it as the other way, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. That six. I think it goes up a million every time it's mentioned as well. I think there's a quota in, on BT Sport that they have to up the mil- up the price every time they mention it. I don't watch too much other football, so I don't know whether every team gets levelled at it, but we every single aspect of our spending is levied against us and it's just so tiring um it, it kind of it should have lost its meaning by now i think everyone's spending just as much as everyone else to try and get ahead now uh, but we're certainly uh feeling the the brunt of it every single time we step on the pitch and sometimes it leads to me wanting to mute the commentary to be honest it doesn't make it an experience an enjoyable watching experience when the we don't spend the money as fans why why should it matter and i think brian's spot on there it does lose its meaning after you hear mcmanaman or anyone else say for the 60th time that cancelo's cost us 17 billion pounds and yeah. it, it does seem to just be ours. You never hear about. You only ever hear about the opposition's starting lineup cost when it's someone who just won a competition like Marseille. <laughs> um, Kieran, allow me to play devil's advocate here, um, because uh, first off, I would say a lot of commentators or the commentary team are not commentating for City fans. They're commentating for neutrals. So you're in a position where uh, it makes a comparison because the because these people that are watching this game don't watch City every week. They don't watch the opposition every week. So they, they're comparing the scales of the two sides that the two sides are there. And second off, if Brian if Brian is right there, you know, who the hell cares anymore? Um why should City fans care if it keeps being mentioned? It's not. It's not being mentioned as uh, as a bat, as something to beat City fans with. It's just. It's just a comparison between the two teams. Yeah. Um, something that Adam said earlier on is that we kind of notice things more because we do watch City every week. So Brian is going to be hearing those commentators talk about City in this way because Brian and us we watch City. You know, we watch us on TV every week now, um, especially when we can't go to the ground. So it's going to be doubly, <laughs> doubly hard um, because we're watching home and away games. Uh, so you're just going to hear 38 plus times a season. <laughs> oh God, uh, how much City have, have spent. So yeah, um, they are just being neutral and there will be a kind of different 
commentator commentating on us each game, although it does feel like uh, it's McManaman and Fletch every single. Time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, but, but yeah. that's that's another point because if, if a commentary if the first commentary is done by Ian Dark who mentions it, and then the next game is done by uh, Darren Fletcher who also mentions it, they've not worked together to mention it one week then the next week. They've both just had it in their notes. That's it, yeah. So we'll we'll see it as one sort of a homogenous kind of mass of commentator hit. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's it's different men and women with different um, matches every week. So we just hear the same voice going, oh, Kinsella was 60 million. Oh, Kinsella was 60 million. And we'd be like, shut up. But actually, they, they're all kind of coming at it from their own angle. It's just a pity that their own angle seems to be to mention how much you know every player cost. Um, but if we were watching... You know, who knows if we're watching United uh, every week, and God knows I actively avoid NBA. NBA <laughs> United, but, you know, we possibly will talk about how much Pogba cost or how much, um, I can't even think of another one of their players, but like uh, how much you Harry know, Maguire cost. Harry Maguire cost, exactly. Yeah, so the, the chances are they probably are. Um, it's one of those things, you know, it does feel like a bit of an agenda against us, and it does feel like we're just, we're always just going to be money bag city. And um, what is it when we play Chelsea? What do they call it? El, El, El Cashico. El Cashico. And, and it's just one of those things that we have to put up with. And I mean, sometimes you do have to sort of go, well, yeah, do you know, we, we have been successful due to Sheik Manchester's billions. Um, so we'll take the rough with the smooth, we'll watch our brilliant footballers, and we'll, you know, we'll get them and we'll get to win trophies um, and, and take how much it pisses you off that every single commentator will mention every single player's cause. That that said, though, Kieran, um, they should shut up about it every now and then, though, shouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you, you, you worry about... I mean, I don't want to criticise anybody in the media because their their job is hard. Um, but I changed the record a bit, guys. Like, um, there surely is more more to life than talking about how much everybody works. And sometimes, do you know when you kind of look at football commentators and go, I mean, McManaman's a perfect example because everybody's really properly fed up of listening to McManaman. His points are awful. Um, he, you know, he'll make a shout. He'll go, oh, that looked offside to me, Fletch. And then the replay, the replay will come and he was miles, you know, he was miles onside. McManaman always seems to be massively misinformed. And it just suggests that kind of, these people have been in the game so long commentating or maybe maybe just a little bit you know ill-informed and a bit complacent and sort of lacking in the research and maybe there's more to say than just how much a player costs and maybe you know actually talking about tactics and strategies and formations and shapes on the pitch and um things like that would be much more interesting for me as a football fan to listen to you know how much Raheem Sterling costs or how much Kyle Walker costs every single week well, I, it's interesting that that you say that, Kieran, because Adam, I I I said on Twitter actually a, a, a couple. It might have been during the West Ham game that uh, I, I just wonder if football punditry, not not just commentary, but like like, like the co-commentators more than the commentators and uh, the guys in the studio. I just sometimes wonder if you know football as a sport, if we're being underserved. Because I look at the quality of pundits on on other sports, and 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 as a as somebody who who. For instance, uh, let's take the snooker. I watch the snooker a lot. And, and you look at, at, at how um, the likes of Stephen Hendry, John Parrott, Ken Doherty, the, the way that they talk about how the game is being played and, and, and what shots need to be played and where they need to move the cue ball, that sort yeah. of thing. I, I just find it a bit hard when I hear Glenn Hoddle say, you know, another goal kick, always taking it long. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we get a true insight to a behind the curtain look. I think to, Gary Neville's good at giving us a bit more 
in, insight into what each type of play means and what effect that's going to have on the wider picture. But it is, the colour commentary at the moment is quite dire. And I think because they're covering so many games, we don't always get the best people wheeled out to comment on those games uh, whilst we watch it. So get me back to the ground where I can make my own my own uh, analysis <laughs> on the game as soon as you can, please. It's the amount of time they'll say he got his tactics spot on and then leave it at that. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, never, what tactics? Never explain what the tactics are. It's just it's turned into such a throwaway cliched line now. Got his tactics spot on. With never any elaboration about what the tactics were. <laughs> it's, it's so empty and flat, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. But never fear, if you'd like some more, then we have a bonus show for Patreon backers. It's at least 15 minutes long every week, but we can never help ourselves talk for a bit longer. So this season, it's usually hovering around the 30 minute mark. And you can get yourself a new bonus show every week for just $2 per month. So for your $2, that's four or five extra episodes to get. Uh, This week's show is following the same theme of the season so far and looking at the players who have featured for both City and Sheffield United, plus some classic matches between the two sides as well. All the details are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and you can also hear all the previous episodes from the last four years if you sign up too so plenty to get stuck into if you've enjoyed today's show then please give it a rating and a review in all the usual places especially on apple podcasts if you use that and all that remains is to thank my guests adam carter cheers and kieran murray cheers blue i'll be back next week and i'll see you then the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast